Realty. Good afternoon, guys. This is Faber McMullen. And this is Sandy McMullen. And we are so glad to be with you here today. We are on our Spiritual Warfare number four, our series. Today we'll be on the flesh, and the title is The Enemy Within Us. We, we each have an enemy within us, my dear. Right. Yes, we do. Would you please open us in prayer? Yes, I will. Jesus, thank you for the this beautiful day. Thank you for your love that you pour out on us. Thank you for telling us in your word how you want us to walk every day and how we can be victorious in this Christian life and how we can come closer to you and become more and more like you as we grow older in our Christian faith and mature. And Lord, I pray you bless this lesson today. Help all the hearers and help us as we speak. In your name we pray. Amen. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. song you picked, Sandy. It's it's great because, you know, we will end this session today saying that when it comes to our flesh, and our flesh is the greatest spiritual enemy that we really have in our warfare. We don't think about this. People don't talk about this, but when we stay with him every hour, temptations lose their power when he's nigh. And That's that, right. That's that right. is the whole sermon all in one sentence, guys. When you stay close to the Lord, in Bible study, application to your life, prayer, being focused on Him, it takes control of the flesh and it makes the flesh impotent. Otherwise, the flesh is amazingly powerful. The flesh is actually, guys, like a double agent within you. Right. Uh, some of the older folks may remember there was a guy named Aldrich Ames, and he was this guy that had been born in Wisconsin. 20 years ago, he went to prison. I'll just tell you the whole story. And he grew up in a, in a typical middle-class home there. His parents were school teachers. And his dad got a job with the CIA. And they ended up moving him over to Southeast Asia or somewhere. And uh, his dad was an alcoholic. That the CIA moved them back to the United States. And when they got back to the United States, he graduated from high school, this Aldrich Ames. And he got a job with the CIA, working first as a clerk. 
And he went to college there in Wisconsin, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. And he, and he got out and he went to work for the CIA. And they sent him and his wife over uh, to Turkey. They went to Turkey. And his job was to pretend to be giving the Soviets real, real important uh, secretive stuff and to gain their trust. And so when he began doing that, uh, his wife and him had been there. He began drinking. They began having debts and spending money. So when he would give the Soviets his secrets, he demanded money for them. And, mm. the, and they ended up paying him, and he, he became paid. And he got so addicted to their money that he went beyond just feeding them the information that the United States had given him to feed. And, they went, and he went to feeding information about agents, about covert activities. And this one guy, Aldrich Ames, by his tipping off who was an agent and who wasn't, the, the Russians, the Soviets at that time, were able to kill every single agent that the CIA had that was in, infiltrating what was going on in the Soviet Union. It was amazing. And there he was inside of the heart and soul of America. That's the point. And he was there, and the CIA had confidence in him. They couldn't figure it all out. Finally, uh, he got rid of his wife and ended up marrying another woman from Colombia, began having extramarital affairs, you know, bought fancy cars, bought a Jaguar and drove around, and they ended up trapping him and finally finding out that he had been the single most dangerous spy that the United States had never had, and it's because the U.S. had put its trust and confidence in him, never realizing he was right in the heart of all that they were doing, destroying everything that was going on. All of the intelligence of the United States was turned on its head by this one guy, Aldrich Ames. Mm. And that's the way it is with your flesh. Your flesh, guys, is like a double agent. You don't even realize that it's there coming after you, going after you. Uh, but just it's, it's insidious. You don't you you sort and of it's trust, secretive. You know, you yeah. that that thing that says follow your heart. Well, you know what? Sometimes your heart takes you down the wrong road. Exactly right. And the flesh is a weird thing. We had studied back at Union Grove maybe a month ago, the fifth chapter of Galatians. And Sandy, why don't you read that one? sentence and uh and we're going to kind of talk about that today okay the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmities strife jealousy outbursts of anger disputes dissensions factions envyings, drunkenness carousing and things like these and paul is just saying this is what the fruits of the spirit uh, what the fruits of the flesh are and then he'll go on encounter that with something we'll talk about probably next Wednesday night on the podcast, how the fruits of the Spirit contrast to that. Right. And, you know, the struggle with the flesh begins, we see it in Genesis 4, and it's when we see two brothers, Cain and Abel, and I was trying to remember, wasn't Cain the older one? Yes. So Cain and Abel, for those who don't know the story, uh, were these brothers, and at some point Cain became envious of his younger brother. And the... Bible's very clear. It comes out that he became envious of the relationship. He was jealous of the relationship that he felt that God had with Abel because the text tells us that God accepted Abel's sacrifice but didn't accept Cain's. And I need to point out, too, that the reason that happened was because Abel obeyed what God wanted and Cain brought the offering that he thought God should accept and God did not accept it. And that's what made him so mad because he felt like... Um, why, why wasn't his good enough, even though he wasn't doing what God told them to do? And so the way at the end of the story is, is that Cain gets so jealous of Abel, he takes a rock or a 
club or something and hits him in the head and kills him. And it's really the first murder that we have on the earth. And it was the flesh that was in Cain that did that. And so that's the first time we see the horrible things that the flesh is capable of. So we have this flesh within us. And so what we really need to talk about today is what is the flesh, okay? Because the flesh is confusing. You know, if you think about it, flesh can be your flesh right here, our hands. Our body, our skin. In our bodies. It also refers sometimes in the Bible contrasting uh, the, the power of man versus the power of God. We are just, you know, fleshly, earthly beings. But the, the one we're going to focus on today, this afternoon, is that it refers to the sinful nature that's born into each of us. Uh, the Bible is very, very clear that we have an, an enemy, uh, a rebel, that's within each of us. That would be a better way to say it. And, and I want to add that it's the major influence in our spiritual warfare. Demons are not the major influence. The world is not the major influence. It's our flesh that we do battle against. And that's because it's the doorway into our behavior that Absolutely. Satan knows that he can influence us through that doorway. And most Christians, in their ignorance, they, they fear the devil most of all. Uh, they don't even recognize the world as anything wrong like we talked about last week. They can't even recognize that they're in a battle or that they're that they're being influenced by the world. And least of all, they have no realization of just how powerful their flesh is. Sandy, our flesh is strong. Our flesh is, is, is wicked. Uh, it's fallen and be a better way to put it. It's right, fall. It's right. fallen. And, and as I looked into studying this and studied some of the writings by Robbie Dean, Dr. Dean, who's a mentor of mine, Robbie points out that in all of the epistles of Paul, Demons and the devil are only mentioned 10 times, but the flesh is mentioned over 50 times. You know, wow. And if it was yeah. not important, I mean, if, it, if it's excluded there, there's a reason, and it's because our flesh is that important. Right. And it's God trying to tell us that is the problem. So uh, it's the problem because that old sin nature lies within us. And to review it, when we come to Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit. It is the gift, gifted comforter that you were promised. And as we have the Holy Spirit in us, we still have dwelling within us the old man nature, the old sin nature, or Paul, I think, calls it the old man. Okay. And, well, and that came from back in the garden, you know, when um, Adam and Eve obeyed Satan instead of obeying God. That is when they turned the dominion of the world, including, you know, including their own nature, over to Satan, not per se that he controls it, but that we constantly have this battle now of trying to keep our flesh from being influenced by Satan. Amen. And another strange thing about the works of the flesh, you know, when we read that list of the deeds of the flesh, they all look pretty horrible, don't they? Right. They look like the worst kind of human conduct you can have. But did y'all know that some deeds of the flesh can actually look good? How about the Sunday school teacher who knows everything perfectly? knows all of the verses, and has that little bit of spiritual pride where they, uh, and we've seen that kind of a person, Sandy, right. that yeah, we have. walks around with their Bible and they have all the appearances of having this fruit of the Spirit. You know, they're not cheating, they're not lying, they're not getting drunk or engaging in sexual morality, but what they're doing is, is done in the flesh. It looks right. like a good work, but it's really a fleshly work. Well, you've got to remember again in the Garden of Eden, um, what did Eve say about the fruit? Do you remember from last Sunday? She said it was attractive and it... Uh, looked like something good to make you wise. Yeah. I mean, it looked all good. It just wasn't what God had told him to do. Another way would be people that go around and do good for others, but really they have a motive inside where they want something out of it. 
Right, they expect someone to do something for them or for God to give them brownie points. And that would be done in the flesh. Right. I mean, it, lo it looks like a, it looks like a, as I call it, a mitzvot, a, 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 a spiritual deed, but it really isn't. It's really just a work of the flesh. So, you know, we need to be careful to be able to recognize and not be fooled just by appearances. Um, so we were going to go to here. Um, yeah, but the, the cool thing about this whole thing today is that there is hope. We don't have this hopelessness of being indwelled by this flesh that is going to make us give up. Paul said at, at one point, you know, some of y'all, I said, might be thinking, well, I might as well give up. There's no hope against any kind of a fleshly double agent that resides in me. And Paul says that when he, when he uh, says this to us. Okay, Paul says in this Romans, in Romans. 7, 21 through 25, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Paul wanted to do good, but he found that he still had evil inside of him. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Isn't that amazing the way he describes the way we feel in yeah, our flesh? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit difficult to get your mind around, but it's exactly what we're saying here about the flesh. Paul, Paul is saying there, I agree with God, I concur with God, I know this law of God. But I find that my flesh here, my members are warring against that. Yeah, you still have that double agent inside you. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. And so he's talking about the struggle that he has. He has to get his mind to be the, or his heart or his soul, his spirit, to control his flesh and keep him from going into these things that his flesh is trying to lead him into. I've had times in my life when I've been at, in great spiritual battle with myself, with my own flesh. Exactly. And I found a verse, I, I believe it was a, a, another pastor here in town that shared this with me one day, we were talking, and it was the fact that we can literally take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You, your, your thoughts may be crazy and wild and wrong, but the Bible tells us, Scripture tells us, that those thoughts can be taken captive, kind of just like they can be arrested, have uh, handcuffs put on them, mm -hmm. and, and be subjected to the uh, obedience of Christ. If you'll read 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 for us. Okay. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Isn't that comforting? It is. It is very comforting. Well, and I remember, it's, I'm reminded of when, Peter was telling Jesus, oh, you don't have to go to the cross. And Jesus turned around to him and said, get behind me, Satan, which essentially he's saying, you know, Satan was attacking him through Peter to say, oh, you don't need to go to the cross. And then in another place where it says, where Paul says, actually, um, resist the devil and he will flee from you, you know. Or maybe that's maybe that's Christ. I didn't look that up before, but yeah, whoever said, I, yeah, but if I we think it was Peter. Actually, we have but. the we have the power. We have the power because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. We do have this power to resist 
the urges of the flesh. And I want to stop and talk about uh, for a second, make a little bit of a clarification. People that think, well, gee whiz, I, I accepted the Lord, then why, if I still have this struggle with my flesh, am I really a Christian? And I wanted to point out that your salvation really is kind of in three different realms. You know, first off, your, your salvation from eternal death, I mean, or from uh, damnation, let's say, or salvation. When, when we accept Jesus as we, our Messiah, yeah, it, as the We Christ. are justified, you know, and what it is is when you came to Christ and you received his death on the cross as the substitutionary payment for your sins and your wrongdoing, you were justified before God. It's like God is the judge and he says, not guilty, okay? Right, exactly. And it means you're, you're judged. You're no longer judged guilty like you were. You're now not guilty. And you no longer face this penalty of death, this death penalty. Right, that Satan brought into the world. Exactly. You stand beautiful, clean, and you're holy before your Father in heaven. And it's not on account of any goodness. In Titus 3, 5 through 7, it tells us it's not because of any goodness or clean or righteousness that we've done, but because of his great mercies that he saved absolutely, us. Absolutely, absolutely. And the second one, so we have first justification. That's the, the first thing that I want to make clear. And why so don't we you... get justified. As we come to Christ, we are justified because we accept his sacrifice on the cross to cover our sins. And so we are justified in God's eyes. That and why way. don't you take, uh, just take a shot at the second stage of salvation? Well, sanctification is... Um, it's the process of becoming more and more like God, more and more like Christ, as we continue our journey on earth. Um, we have It's something we have to pursue every day, every moment. We have to hour by hour. be letting yeah. the Holy Spirit work in us towards that goal of making us become more and more like Jesus. And it doesn't happen all at once. We won't completely get to that point of perfection until we actually die and we are in God's presence, in his glory. Which um, is the third stage of, right, of, right, things, right. of uh, salvation, glorification. In the, in the meanwhile, we are, yes, we are battling our flesh, and that is part of the process of this sanctification as we become more saintly. We become more like saint-like. Okay. Yeah. Sanctification is like sanctified. You're set apart. And part of that is just that the Lord chips away the stuff that doesn't look like him. Right. Through the circumstances of life and everything else we live through. And then lastly is the glorification. And that's just the final stage when we're going to be raised. We're going to be with him forever. Uh, we'll have eternal life in heaven. And we've been saved from eternal death and separation from him. That's the glorification. So we have justification sanctification and glorification, all pieces of this whole salvation package, you might call it. I'm going to look now just at the deeds of the flesh in detail because they're what, if we see these kinds of things coming in our life, it means the flesh has control. Right. That, that's why I want to talk about Or the about flesh it. is attacking our spirit or Ex whatever. Exactly. And in Galatians 5.17, Paul lists this out, and Sandy began by reading that. And remember that the Galatian, the believers in Galatia were... They weren't carnal like the ones in Corinth who were doing all this bad immorality and sexual licentiousness. The ones in Galatia, where they were going wrong, was trying to figure out what else good they had to do to be saved. Right. They wanted to add something to what Jesus did for them. And, and remember, the message that we taught about Galatians, y'all, was that Jesus plus nothing is everything. And so Paul goes ahead and he describes to them what the deeds of the flesh look like. And I want to point out that scholars 
divide these into four parts. First off, essential sin. Do you want to uh, talk um, about essential sin? Just read that little thing. Okay. Essential yeah. um, sin is immorality based on this Greek word por porneia. Porneia. It's where we get and the word is, pornography from. Right. Any sexual activity outside of marriage, including homosexuality, premarital sex, marital unfaithfulness, and I will add participating in pornography in whatever form. Any um, sexual activity um, between people or, uh, you know... People of the same sex or even people who are just uh, single. Yeah, okay. any, or married to each other is in this category. And again, I add, whatever goes on in your head is also part of this. If you're watching porn on TV or whatever, that is also a part of this... Sexual sin in this category. Mm -hmm. Sensuality sin. includes any sexual activity. Um, Not necessarily. Yeah. Involving foreign, you know, just playing around, goofing around with with somebody, and, and yeah. When when you're moving into areas that should only be moved in to by married people, one man and one woman, then that is sexual sin. Mm -hmm. Then Paul goes on and talks about idolatry and sorcery. So there's two things here I wanted to talk about. Idolatry, guys, is not just worship of a little clay statue that looks like something, okay, in ancient times. And what's interesting, they worshiped that little statue because it represented something in their mind. Mm -hmm. It was a god that could do something for them, okay? Mm -hmm. So it was bigger than just a little clay thing. And so we don't maybe do that like in ancient times, but we now have what I call sophisticated idols of the mind. Right. Things like success and money and career, uh, sex, family, you know, can be worshipped. Children can be worshipped. Comforts and the good life can be worshipped where that's what people go after more than anything else. And I would add to that um, power. There's a lot of people who get a lot of joy or a lot of significance out of controlling other people, which is very dangerous and very bad. It's a very bad situation. So they might worship power. That would yes. be. Then we get into, he says, idolatry or sorcery. And actually the word for sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia. Okay, it's exactly where we get the word pharmacy from. And there's a theologian named Ernest DeWitt Burton, and he describes the word like this. It's really interesting. From Homer, Homer was a, a Greek writer, down, this word pharmakia denotes a drug, whether harmful or wholesome. Pharmakia signifies in general the use of drugs, whether helpfully by a physician or harmfully, hence like poisoning. And in the Pentateuch, the word is uniformly employed in the bad sense. It's always used in a bad way of witchcraft and enchantments. They would take mm. drugs and things and get a, uh, a vision. They would a, get a vision. A, yeah, drug-induced high, and then supposedly we'd be in contact with the gods to to communicate things. Uh, the word includes drug abuse and drug use, like we see today, and ultimately it gets down to relying on any kind of chemical substance. All right whether it's alcohol, cocaine, maybe sleeping pills, or other things that we're looking for to provide us the joy, the peace, and the freedom from anxiety that we have in the midst of adversity that can only come through a right relationship with Jesus. And you and I talked about this today, that, that you know, uh, you want to kind of share some of our thoughts about the first 1,900 years of Christendom and the hardness of life? I don't, well... We could, or we, we could wait for a different time yeah, to well, talk we, about that. We, we talked about it, that we said, you know, as we 
turn to those things, we no longer turn to our Christian brother or sister who takes us by the hand, who prays with us through things, who shows us scripture that we need to see, that right. empowers and us by the power of God. As we spoke this morning, we talked about life is hard and somehow we have gotten this idea and we've transferred this idea to our, idea to our children that life isn't supposed to be hard. Life isn't supposed to be, I mean, that life's supposed to be like a, you know, a Disney story or something. And that's not the way life is. Life is hard, but what makes life joyful is having another person's hand to hold, the Christians in your fellowship, your friends, even the people you play, you know, like we play cards sometimes, that sort of thing. And we encourage and lift each other up. We encourage each other to do the right thing. Because life's tough. We influence each other in a positive way to do the right thing. And um, I want to add, too, here, back, I grew up, you know, back in the 70s and 60s, everybody was doing these drugs. And I was taught back then that people who use these recreational drugs, Satan has made it a counterfeit for the Holy Spirit. Whereas you take these drugs and you feel like you have this control and this peace calmness and, and, and whatever and and this should only you know this can come to you through the holy spirit living in you but people get trapped into using something else as a substitute and they miss what god wants to do in their life and through their life something i want to add that sandy said this morning and she's not saying it now that's really really to me impressive and significant and that is in the era of television and movies Problems happen in a television program and they're resolved in 30 minutes. If they're big, big problems in a movie, they're resolved in two hours. Life is not that way. Problems don't get resolved in 30 minutes. They don't get resolved in two hours. And that's part of this falsehood that the world has stuck into the minds of our young people and even older people thinking, why do I have problems? I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have any problems. And that is where we turn to God's word, we turn to one another, we pray together, and, and he has the answers for us in the Bible. The third thing that Paul talks about of deeds of the flesh is deeds that show up in personal relationships. And these are not just deeds that would be in, in our marriage, but these would be between folks that, that go to church together or people you work with, okay? These include enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. Whenever we work in this area, uh, when, when there's any kind of a, a fleshly work in this area, disruption and fragmentation occurs. What does that mean? What is fragmentation? It means that relationships fall apart. You get into these things and a marriage falls apart, a friendship falls apart, uh, abuses happen, because these are the kind of things that, that tear relationships apart. Enmity, strife, jealousy, anger outbursts, disputes, dissensions, and factions, and envying. And we're going to talk about those now in detail about what they mean. Why don't you talk about enmity? Well, enmity is the attitude of hostility and antagonism towards others. And I would say that that is going around with a chip on your shoulder looking for trouble. You're looking for someone to offend you. And that happens a lot. And we need to... Instead of looking for somebody to offend us, we need to look at how we can overlook an offense. That is the opposite of enmity. How about and, strife? And strife is the result of enmity because you decide that you're going to be hostile towards someone because they have infringed on your rights or whatever. Um, it is stirring up 
when it has no real positive effect. You and know, you stir things up just for trouble. And you, everybody knows that person that will come in and just stir up trouble just for no reason, just because they enjoy the power. They're divisive them. and they create dissension. Right. And jealousy is born in insecurity in your own relationships with others. You feel like people don't love you or you feel like you don't measure up. And so then you think, well, I wish I had. The or they love someone more than they love me. Yeah. Or something. Um, it's when you're threatened when those you love care about others instead of about you. But I also think it has to It'd be, be like if I, as Sandy's husband, would get upset if she's spending time with her ladies there, uh, loving on them and, and taking whatever. care of them. You know, I shouldn't. It's That's her ministry. Right. And then outbursts of anger are uncontrolled emotions. You've had enough. Your emotions take over and you throw a tantrum. You feel like you deserve the right to be mad and to make everybody know exactly how you feel. But I will tell you this, anytime you decide not to be mad, the next day you don't ever say, boy, I sure wish I had gotten mad yesterday. Well, I wish I'd have been angry. How many times do we say, oh, I wish I would have kept my mouth shut. We never say, I wish that I had gotten angry yesterday. The fourth category that Paul talks about in the deeds of the flesh is based on a self-assertive personality, self-serving, self-seeking, uh, all about self, you know, talking about yourself, centering everything on yourself, wondering everything about yourself. And, and these are the kind of things that are disruptive and, and create dissensions and disputes. And, you know, it tears churches apart. It tears families apart. It tears marriages apart. Uh, it's just horrible. And, and these things, from such a hard attitude of this self-assertiveness and self-servingness and self-seeking, those are the kind of people that dispute anything for the purpose of just disagreeing about it. I remember in my early days when I got ordained, we had a deacon, and I think he was being funny, but if we would have something that we voted on, I'm not going to say his name, but you would know him. Right, I know exactly it, who you're it, talking about. And he about. would just say, well, I dissent. He, he said, I'm not going to agree. And yeah, I said, not because he really did. And I said, why not? He said, well, I think someone ought to disagree. Yeah, just for the sake of disagreeing. I mean, why should you disagree just to be disagreeable? I if mean, it's something that is agreeable. I, and the other thing people do, too, they, they like to get up and stir up the pot, and they like to go over here and talk about this person and go over here and talk about that person and this person. And Paul that. says that kind of a person is someone who is operating in the flesh. Right, exactly. They feel power when they control everyone, and they pit one group of people against another. And we see a lot of that happening socially right now. Right, exactly. Uh, they desire to manipulate a group and to, or manipulate a person, and that kind of manipulation is born in the flesh. They envy other people. They can't stand to see someone else doing well. And there's people like that. That is a fleshly attitude that's born in this flesh that we're talking about. All right? It's born in the pit of hell. And the 10th commandment speaks directly against it. It says, mm -hmm. you shall not covet your neighbor's ox or his ass, his manservant, his maidservant, or anything that's his. Okay? And why don't you talk about Paul's final group? Okay, the final group is two acts, and that would be drunkenness and carousing. And just to my mind, that is when you allow anything to control you. Drunkenness is not, I had a glass of wine. Drunkenness is, I drank two bottles of wine and I acted crazy. You know, you always hear about the person dancing on the, the tabletop with the lamp lampshade on, on their head. head. Yeah, that is, That's you carousing. have lost control. You have given control. And I'll tell you something else. Um, drugs can do the same thing. When you give control of you to something over, when you give over to something else, that's when Satan can get in there and you're opening up your flesh for him to walk right in there and do bad things. It goes right along with carousing. Carousing is, 
is just you're just looking for something that's bad to do. You know, you're looking for somehow to break um, the to break the law. Okay? I, I wanted to say something about drunkenness because another one of my friends died yesterday morning of alcoholism, basically, and that's this: society talks about alcoholism as it's an illness. Alcoholism is a sin. It is born in sin. It, you may end up having a chemical dependency, but it started with a choice to do wrong. Exactly. Okay? It's not just something that suddenly you catch, like catching the flu. It's not like that one beer once a week. Exactly. But I wanted to bring that out because we, we talk today of these euphemistic terms of it being an illness and this kind of thing. Lastly, what we want to cover today is that this whole idea of the devil made me do it is contrary to Scripture. The devil doesn't make you do anything, okay? Uh, we hear all kinds of, uh, you know, Christians talking about I, the, the demon of gluttony made me eat. Uh, the demon of lust made me want someone that wasn't my, my wife. The demon of this, the demon of that. Guys, chapter 5 of Galatians that we just read shows us clearly that these are fleshly deeds that beset us. They're not demons. Because mm -hmm. Paul says these are deeds of the flesh. Yeah, He's the only thing he doesn't Satan say this can, is the product of demons. Yeah, the, the only thing that Satan can do is bring us to a place of temptation. Right. He can't really make us choose to, to sin. Only we can do that. But believers who blame demons and all that for their failures are just not approaching these issues in a biblical way. That's right. what I wanted to say. The flesh is our big enemy. And there are well-intentioned believers out there that convinced that their lust and gossip and jealousy and anger and all the other works of the flesh are somehow caused by this demon of such and such residing within them, but it's their flesh that resides within them. And I know that people that do this honestly want to help others, but it's harmful because it, it supplies this unscriptural rationale for denying personal responsibility for the sin that we each have in our life. Right. It places the blame on some influence outside of us. And, and I, what I wanted to say, yeah, it's in line with the world's rationale that somehow people are not responsible for their own misdeeds. Yeah, so you might as well be out there burning buildings and, and killing people. So this whole thing, although it was funny, where Flip Wilson said, well, the devil made me do it. He was a comedian that lived back in the 70s. Rather, we should choose the biblical solution when we engage in these kind of deeds of the flesh to say, Lord, you've said in your word, if I confess my sins, you're faithful, you're just, you'll forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He cleanses you and you get back into the game. And the way I think that you can best protect your thoughts and protect yourself from the flesh is by staying in God's word. Right, and um, Christians who are misled in this area can't understand that the real enemy is the flesh. But God, through his marvelous grace, gives us the power and the means to walk in newness of life. It is the flesh is that traitor about whom we started this discussion. It seeks to avoid detection until its destruction of the soul is complete. It works in secret, and it is sneaky. It is a stealth killer. <laughs> I call it a stealth killer. A stealth. The promise of Scripture is that with the study of Scripture and the application of the same of our minds can be transformed and renewed. When the believer is living moment by moment, depending on the Holy Spirit of God, learning sound Bible teaching, and applying those truths to one's life, the flesh becomes impotent. And that is great news. And I'm going to add to that, we need prayer. We need to hear sound teaching. We need to read and study our word. And we need fellowship with other Christians that together as we live through these acts of life, we see 
how to respond in the spirit rather than in the flesh. And we encourage each other in that way. I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm crunching on ice right now. <laughs> so, let's pray. We love you guys. Real soon we're going to be back having Wednesday nights. That'll be on September the 30th. It's going to be fun to be back together having meals. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you that we're not in a hopeless situation. Thank you that in spite of my horrible flesh, Lord, you have made provision for me to study your word, to have the Holy Spirit illuminate it to me and teach it to me and apply it to my heart. Lord, thank you that we are not slaves to sin, but Lord, we are just more than conquerors in you. Lord, thank you for speaking. I feel you speaking through Sandy and I, speaking your word about spiritual warfare. Lord, we pray for our people. We pray for this congregation. And Lord, we just pray that They'll have true insight and understanding, Lord, of the victory that they can have over that double agent that's within each of us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. We Amen. love you guys.